0: To listening to extra textual this is a show where we talk about an idea concept theme trend and relate it to some kind of media like film tv video games books music and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way thanks for listening Thanks for uh, listening to our show. Um, I'm Eli Steenrich, and with me today is... Jeremy Holiday, Michael Krieger.
1: William Annas.
0: William is our special guest today, and uh, he's here to talk about language and li- linguistics. We're talking about the film Arrival as our main discussion. Uh, so we're going to go in some different directions with that and spend a little more time than we have on some of our other topics. So to kind of tell you where we're going today, we'll discuss that film. And we'll do a segment on what we're watching with our kids, with uh, Jeremy and Mikey. And then we'll talk about some streaming suggestions we have for you as well, which William will join in. Mikey, you actually haven't seen The Arrival. not seen The Arrival. So we didn't get to see that in time. Uh, This is a little bit unusual for us, this topic today, because as dads, we don't really get to the theater very often. But we did happen to go see Arrival, so... uh, This is a little more current than we normally will be talking about. To begin with, um, let's just discuss some of our general impressions. And I'll say right now that if you have not seen Arrival, it's really hard to talk about without giving away any spoilers. So we're pretty much just going to jump into spoiler territory right away um, and not worry about that too much because otherwise it won't be much of a discussion. So with that being said, how did you guys feel about the film? in a general sense, did you did you enjoy it, Jeremy? You want to start?
2: Oh yeah, um, I, I I had a really good time at the movie. I mean, I did, right my right up right off the bat, there are two things that I want to say. One of which is uh, a criticism that I level at a lot of films happens with this one too, where like if they just want to cut off the last twenty minutes or so, infinitely better film. Um, the, particularly the scene with the Chinese general. At the end, yeah, I would have rather had a little bit of mystery, some weird stuff. Maybe they disappear into the air, and we have credits, and we have a great time. Um, my favorite part of the film, um, favorite moment in the film, is when like, our main female character realizes that she's flashing forward in time as opposed to flashing back, and I think like that moment was great, I don't. I think the more they treat the topic, the less powerful it becomes, and the less interesting. Like the whole time travel, cyclical. That doesn't really do it for me. But that moment when I was like, "Man, like I've been tricked this whole film." Um, that I mean, and you can see all the all the craft at that moment. I really, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I mean, even some details like the gravity where they walk in sideways. That's great, and I think yeah. it creates a sense of differentness and strangeness um, with the aliens that I just liked. I'm like how do they do that we don't have any idea right. like they don't there's not like someone we, we don't have a dialogue which is like well you know they clearly have a gravitronic something or others nothing it's <laughs> just weird it just happens, yeah. um, and also you know, also shows to um, that like they, they seem to have mastered something that we have not mastered um, they seem to be more advanced in some way um, and I enjoyed it I mean it was like I mean Uh, It reminded me um, of the book and the movie Contact in that you're encountering an alien or aliens that are very different, um, that are coming to Earth not to steal your resources or kill everybody or it's some pawn in some great war, but they've come to talk to you, um, which I always find sort of more interesting. I mean, we've... I I know I go on and on about this, but I mean, there's this moment when I was watching independence day when i was a kid and i just i was like wow like this movie is so interesting and then there's the point where they're like dissecting the aliens and brent spiners there and like we discovered that they're just horrible monsters here to steal our resources i i was so like it's a it's a disappointment that i carry with me my whole life (laughs) Like i I just thought it was going to be different and exciting and it was not and it's like oh so we're just gonna shoot each other and oh, the good guys win, and we're done. Yeah. And they remade that film, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> they made a second one. So and that that's my general thoughts about Arrival at the beginning. I
0: think Arrival's more similar to Close Encounters of the Third Kind in that way, where they don't assume that they're here to destroy us or take our planet right away, which is unusual in these sort of alien encounter films. I mean, we do eventually get there when we're talking about China and things like that. Um, it's always kind of a threat in the background, but it's not the main point of it.
1: William, do you yeah, have even though this movie has two things that I always find immediately frustrating and irritating in science fiction. Time travel, some weirdness about linguistics we can talk about in a bit. I still think it's one of the best science fiction films I've seen in years, right? Yeah. It's not all exploding crap. Um, the You're talking about the inside of the spaceship. It's just slate gray with a frosted glass panel. That's the future not blinking lights or crazy weirdness, um, and only one explosion. So, no, it was, I thought it was really great, and all science fiction, ultimately, um, is about human beings, and it's about our linguist's response to what she sees and what she decides to do. That's what the movie's about, and I thought it was yeah. really, really well done, and I'm willing to tolerate time travel <laughs> and weird <laughs> linguistics for a good human story. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, what I appreciated was that going into it and coming through it to the end, I realized like it's it's not really an alien story. It's uh, it's based it's focused on the character of Louise, and then there's aliens in it. You right. know, like it starts with her and it kind of ends with her life um, and what's happening in her with her personally, uh, and then there's this kind of bigger story happening around that, and that's the kind of science fiction I like. Um, that there's these big things, but it's telling kind of the smaller story within that, um, that's what I enjoyed.
2: There's one more thing I want to add, which it allows me to like make fun of something I don't like as well. So, um, have you guys seen that um, at the Inter- end? goes the black hole. Interstellar. Yeah. Have you guys yeah. seen Interstellar? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So in Interstellar, um, like halfway through the movie, I was like, "This is on par to be like one of the greatest movies I have ever seen." Except for that little thing at the beginning in the library with the lines, I'm glad they didn't explain that. <laughs> right? And then, and then the last 30 minutes of the film was like I'm like, "Did we, you know, like I was like, "How did he keep a straight face while acting in the fourth dimension?" And I'm like, "This is really, really bad and it won't end." Um, and in watching Arrival there was this this bit and I don't know, I haven't read much about it, but there's the there's the bird that chirps. You know, there's the bird, the canary right. that chirps, and we hear it, and mm-hmm. the director makes sure we hear it, mm-hmm. and we see the little VU meter go up. It's being recorded and listened to, and I was like, what does that mean? You know, is it like, is the bird communicating with them? And and we just <laughs> we just never found out about it, yeah. and that's great, because yeah. I was hoping that it wasn't, like, true, something yeah. at the end where we discovered that the aliens actually well, thought they were communicating with the canary or, you
1: know, like, something right. like that. Uh, it's, well, I mean, we know by the end that the aliens know who they're there to talk to um i the, the movie was pretty quiet in lots of parts so i think he's just showing you know the setup mm-hmm. <laughs> bird's here in case there's an atmosphere problem yeah and uh, and it's re- the recording's on so off we go
2: but i also i mean i also like that even though i think they go off the rails a little bit at the end with the time travel like the story is you know it, it follows a narrow path you know and, and it's about what happens between these few actors involved and we don't you know, there is there's you know, there's the idea that they these aliens came here because of some future thing, but like we don't pan out and get to see whatever that is. And yeah. I'm really happy that we don't go there. Yeah.
0: And I, that's a good point about Interstellar because I think and some people have even compared this could this twist could be something like uh, M. Night Shyamalan film where suddenly you get this thing and now it's like, Oh, they're flash forwards, not flashbacks and that could be this big. But I think with those that's kind of just feels like a trick to me. And then you go back and you look at the rest of the film and it kind of feels like not as impressive. It's kind of like puts this damper on things like, oh, you mean what I was watching was not true? Like this was all different. But this film didn't feel that way to me. Like going back, I think there was enough emotion in those characters that we could hold on to. And it didn't like totally change our point of view that it like lessened it to a different degree. Um, So I appreciate that. I mean, did you guys appreciate the twist? Did
1: it feel kind of... Added on to you, I just didn't think of it as a twist. Yeah. It's like she knows what's coming, mm-hmm. and she does it anyway. Yeah, that's that's what that that's what the story's about. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, with lots of you know interesting stuff going on around yeah. it, but that's what the story's about.
0: So we'll get into language in a minute. But um, speaking of with William, you said one of the things you didn't like was time travel, and I know when I viewed it, I did not really think of this as time travel specifically. I, I mean, people have said different things that it's like uh, time visions where she's kind of seeing some people have said she's kind of popping into these parallel timelines or the different timelines in her life and seeing what's happening. And that's why she seems kind of confused in those parts because right. she's kind of in a different time, um, which I think is a in some ways a more realistic Subtle way of doing time travel, but for me it was more like she's just understanding those different times. Um, she's not necessarily like time travel.
1: Seeing yeah. into the future breaks mm. causality the same way <laughs> actually moving into the future does. Yeah. It invites the same ooh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Paradox, uh, yeah. which yeah. I hate, hate, yeah. hate, hate, um, which they avoided completely, okay. mm-hmm. Um so yeah I, right, so time travel seeing through time, I all view them all uh, the same way, predicting the future. no reason to believe that's possible. And it's an easy way to produce this sort of gimmicky story mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, there's the twist.
0: I mean I agree the when she kind of knows something about the Chinese uh, uh, was he the prime minister or president that that was a little gimmicky at that point. I don't think that they needed to. Supply that she was. I think we got it that she was seeing the future, and we didn't need this little detail that she saved the world because she knew this little detail from the future. Although the alien said that, <laughs> um, in some way, she was gonna, or coming to Earth, the humans were gonna save them in 3,000 years. But um, I also like that they didn't explain that.
1: Right. Um, and they just said that, fun. and the ship sort of went up and then evaporated. Right. <laughs> that's all we need. Perfect. Yeah. Good.
0: Yeah. So. In general, kind of mixed on the time travel aspect, but better
1: handled better than most. It's just, I don't, I don't care. There's, the rest, what it's done, what it's doing, focuses on the character whose name I'm forgetting Louise, focuses on her decisions. So if we just ignore the question of seeing into the future, mm-hmm. she does and sees a very difficult situation and decides to go through. Everything, leading up to the death of her daughter anyway, just for, for her own reasons. She mm-hmm. wants to have a daughter. So this is what's happening. Yeah. Normally, time travel in science fiction is about time travel. Well, I just don't care about it. I mean, it's <laughs> central here, but I think the question is, what does she decide to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the interesting part of this movie, to okay. me. A part, I mean, it, there's lots of the sci-fi genre that's interesting, but the, at the core is that. And I'm willing to put up with that. And the linguistics problems just for that good story at the core
0: and uh, I know Jeremy when we saw it together and you were mentioning you mentioned here too that you would have liked to kind of when she said something about like um, about her being married and uh, Jeremy Renner's character says I didn't know you we were married and like that was enough for you to kind of say like let's end it there and just with like the audience can figure it out from there but thinking back I think if it would have stopped there, I would have felt a little cheated. I kind of had this weird view of it. I really enjoyed it, and I agree it's one of the best science fiction films I've seen in the last few years, but it left me a little wanting in some ways. felt like I didn't want any more, like, twists or explanation, but it, it was trying to say something heavier than it was, maybe. But I liked the flow into her life going forward because it kind of left me in a more of an emotional state than rather if it would have ended with kind of, like, Here's, oh, they're flash forwards, then I just kind of would have been left with that. And I, I appreciated more of her seeing her kind of emotional life and cutting back to those type of scenes that we started with, which were kind of the Terrence Malick type shots of just kind of regular life. And then we kind of go back into that. And so, and I kind of like science fiction that presents ideas. Or concepts without explaining everything and then that allows my brain and imagination to kind of spin off into these other ideas um, and I felt like the ending with her family did that more than just kind of leaving me with a twist but,
2: well I mean me I mean uh, I, 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 I agree <laughs> with William in that what is most compelling like the most co- compelling part about the story is uh, you eventually stuff happens early in this woman's life and she's in a situation where like, she knows that like, her child is going to suffer and then die at a young age. Um, and that her husband is going to leave her through that process um, because of the way that she has handled it. And she does it anyway. And I think that for me, what's, what's powerful about that is, it's like a, I don't know what you call it, but it's like a, it's a, it uses this, I don't know, uh, this foil of time travel or visions in the future to make that, this fantastical thing sort of become real and it also allows us to look at the real possibility that if you think about it like having a child loving anyone opening your heart in any Mm -hmm. way like a a hard true look at the world tells you that you very well may get hurt very well may get destroyed you very well may lose everything that is a value to you by opening your heart up to it and she does anyway Mm -hmm. you know and in her particular story um you know it's a that's what's highlighted that like even though she knows this guaranteed will end in disaster or will will end, you know, yeah. she cherishes those thirteen years and says that those thirteen years with her daughter are enough and those, yeah. I don't know, twenty years with her husband are enough. Um, and I, you know, like that, that's interesting and bold and and yeah. and it it's inspiring, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it, you know, in, in this, you know, through the structures of this all this sci-fi stuff, there's this very real um, story this right. very real choice that she makes, which is really interesting. And, I mean, you can do it... I mean, you certainly see, you know, it, it's a, it's a story and an idea that's presented elsewhere, but I think, like, the way you get it in the story is that um, it takes you a little bit by surprise because you don't, you don't know that's her story, mm-hmm. right? You, you, I mean, the way it's structured, you think she's already lost a child and she's now in this period of recovery, um, you know, dealing with her life afterwards, which is a mm-hmm. common, you know, it's like the broken yeah. hero sort of thing. But in this case... She's just uh, a lady with a troubled past, and then all of a sudden you realize that, that that's her future, mm-hmm. and she still chooses that. And, and it allows you to look at all the, the value of all those choices.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's very affirming of just the way you live your life in general, and also not cutting out that, like you said, life has pain and heartbreak and struggle, but that we can still uh, appreciate that and what it, what it grows in us. I mean, we, did you guys want to go home and hug your loved ones? Yeah, well, yes, but there's
2: also this piece that, like, I, I, I mean, I go on around about this, but, like, that I think one of the things that, that each human being has to deal with in their own life is, like, there's this, this tiny little belief inside that it's like, I, I know that human beings are mortal, but, like, maybe if I work things right, maybe I can somehow be immortal, right? Right. And I think that um, when you have someone who makes a choice to love someone, or even, like, a vision of your own death. Um, it, it, it it breaks that fiction, which mm-hmm. I think is like one of the one of the great tasks that any human being has to do to live their life fully. Yeah. You have to realize that, at best cast, you get like hundred and twelve years. <laughs> you know, it's right. never gonna be more than that. Um, and there's all kinds of things around us to like lead us to believe if we contribute money or write the book or do the thing that we will somehow live beyond this. Mm-hmm. But we don't. It, it doesn't happen. Um, I don't even think we should. Um, And I think that this highlights that particular sort of um, perennial and sort of fundamental question and task that people undergo. Yeah, well said. Um,
0: Great. There may be more we can talk about as we fill out the discussion of the film more. But let's get into the linguistics a little bit. Sure. um, Because I think that was a really interesting part of it. And and like we kind of mentioned, just in general, I like that they didn't over-explain things. Um, but they let you experience the uh, the communication that they had with each other in, in a very realistic way. And I, in general, like seeing, you know, um, smart people do smart things in films and, and that sort of uh, the way they operate and do that stuff. Um, so, William, also maybe if you want to explain a little bit about your background um, in linguistics and what, what you kind right. of bring to the table with that. <laughs>
1: My background in linguistics is that I have this hobby where I invent languages for fun. So even though I have taken one or two linguistics courses, most of my study comes from studying actual languages. So you're right, you look through my bookshelf and it's like, oh sure, we have Navajo grammar. Great, good. Um, and, And I read linguistic stuff and I'm familiar with sort of the lingo that linguists use to discuss things. So it's not like I'm a professional linguist, but I'm sort of swim in those waters a lot, um, and write invent languages for a long time. Done it professionally, talking about it on a podcast that's been going on for five years. So there's lots to say about linguistics and invented languages. Um, so this movie has at least an invented script and what I assume is just simulated noises that a director approved of to represent the vocal part of their language. Yeah. Um, there was, uh, we're so used now to seeing languages spoken on screen that someone has actually invented, Game of Thrones. Um, basically, every once we had the Klingons mm-hmm. um, and especially the Elvish in Lord of the Rings, now it's very easy on TV and film to see invented languages. They didn't hire a language inventor for this movie, a designer, um, the director, and his wife sort of came up with something. Fine. I know that irritates people in the conlanging community, but fine. Um, what they were trying to represent, I thought was interesting enough and fine, and the story did not need a fully developed invented language, I think, to work. Um, I did appreciate from the linguistic standpoint, like at the beginning of the film, he comes in and plays this thing on the tape. What are they saying? She's like, what? No, this is not how this works. <laughs> I have to interact with these people. It's like, nope. And then he goes away and, of course, comes back. He says, well, I guess you have to come after all. Yeah. You can't figure out a new language except if you go sit with people for a few years, realistically. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have to, yeah. So there's that. Um, they didn't even bother to try to speak the language because it would have been impossible. <laughs> so let's stick with the writing system. That's good. The design was interesting. Uh, very often in science fiction, you get these like writing on the walls that's supposed to be this or that aliens writing system and it's always dreadful mm-hmm. it's like something a designer came up with or maybe their kid came up with it's like what writing implement produces strokes that look like that how did this evolve how can you possibly read this jumble um do you and, have a, uh, a best example
0: of maybe alien language or um
1: best in what sense
0: uh most realistic from your point of view or um most thoughtful
1: uh, these days we have a professional doing it, David Peterson, who's responsible for Game of Thrones, Defiance, um, one of the Thor movies, they needed the, the elves to speak something that he made something like Finnish, um, actual linguists, uh, Paul Fromer for the Na'vi in Avatar, uh, uh, Klingon, By again, another linguist. So that's the thing that directors typically do: is they call the closest university and ask for the linguistics department and say, "Can someone do this?" Usually, linguists We're, want nothing to do with this.
0: Very similar to Louise in the film. Very similar to Louise and the film, right? Well, she was I supposed to. Do it, yeah. She was supposed to be an
1: expert, <laughs> yeah. like the, the, she already had security clearance. Was the the, the line here? Yeah, yeah, Um, so all of these are good, right? There's a, an understanding of the culture, uh, cultural background, how that informs language, a historical process that's mm. that produce. All of the things that we hate when we have to learn Spanish, like why are these verbs so crazy? It's like, well, this is what history does to a language. You get irregularities, lots of them sometimes. Um, so there, there are lots of good examples out there now. Um, this movie didn't need it. They didn't try. I mean, when, when you say, oh, we're going to have aliens speak. Your choice are aliens who are basically Star Trek aliens, basically humans with things glued onto their face. And they're basically humans, and you can invent a language, a human-like language for them, or you can have something utterly alien. It's like, well, what do you do? Like in uh, District Thirteen, District Nine, District Nine, mm-hmm. right? That was just generated clicks and beeps. Fine, mm-hmm. people could understand each other, but not actually produce each other's language. Uh, for this, it's even weirder. These gigantic squid guys. <laughs> but we have to stick with the writing system, and the writing system still. I'm like, hmm. Again, what sort of tool produces that, but apparently clouds of particles floating in a low-gravity environment is enough. Yeah. So, fine. Uh, whatever. It works in the context of the film. I don't mm-hmm. think it, it needed to be developed fully. The, the thing that irritates me <laughs> is invoking what's known as the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Um, neither Sapir nor wharf actually stated this hypothesis this way, but it's very popular in certain circles. And that's the idea that the language you speak limits and constrains what you can think. Mm-hmm. There are two versions of this. There's a weak version and there's a strong version. The strong version is rock solid. You cannot think thoughts that your language does not allow you to think, which is manifestly insane. <laughs> or you, no one would ever do anything new. <laughs> right. You couldn't accommodate anything new. It's, it's a bizarre thought, but it is attractive to people who want to imagine Um, linguistic activity as equivalent to like doing the hard work of politics. If you say, oh, you just have to say the right things and this will change the world. That sort of theory becomes appealing then. Um, The minor version of Sapir-Whorf is that the language you speak sort of predisposes you to think in certain ways and that is absolutely true. Um, There are languages spoken all over the world that don't have the words left and right or only use them to refer to actual anatomy. Everything else is determined north, south, east, west. Even blind speakers of this language can tell you reliably where north is. Not because it gives them some magical powers by speaking this language, but because speaking the language requires you to pay attention to that. Right, so language doesn't convert magical powers. So yeah. when there, which unfortunately is what this movie does. It says, hey, the language these aliens are speaking, the funny circular script, learning that will let you see through time. Not an idea that I'm going to get very it's a, it's excited about. Yeah. It's a big jump. Yeah. It's a very big jump. Um, and no reason to believe it. Yeah. A very popular idea in science fiction. Very popular idea in uh, um some kinds of political organizations, some religions invent their own languages, right? If you're coming up with a new kind of person, you need a new kind of language. So things like Stranger to Strange Land, right? Heinlein, everyone had to learn the Martian language to get insights into the world. Um, there are other books that have this sort of thing. Um, and it keeps coming back in science fiction all the time, sadly.
2: Yeah.
1: But even though that makes me crazy, I thought the movie was still good. Yeah. I, can, I can survive that for the rest of the film.
0: What do you guys think of the jump, which I thought was also pretty big, where uh, when the narrative needed it, suddenly she seemed to clearly communicate them with the end, where she needed to, she, you know, broke into the ship right. and went in there and suddenly we have subtitles and they can just understand each other. She can on the spot kind of put together uh, sentences and they understand each other, right, um, which seemed a little too convenient.
1: It did, or but they think, were yeah. suggesting that as she was going through this, she was getting sort of sinking deeper into the language. He <laughs> asks her, do you dream in this yet yeah. at one point in the film? So it's suggesting that in a reasonably short time, probably a shorter time, that would actually happen be. with any natural language. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, you know, getting into um, absorbing, internet, absorbing yeah. it. And yeah. I mean, again, if you have, I can't speak, I cannot pronounce your language, but still can understand it spoken to me. Mm-hmm. If that's mutual. Yeah. Than what she did there, that that part didn't seem um, too much of a stretch to me. Yeah. Hmm. Although how she could breathe, whatever it was that they were floating, it was a little more surprised. But whatever, whatever. But also
0: the not mm-hmm. great hair CG.
1: Oh yeah, the not floating. yeah that was the least effective <laughs> CG in the film. Me, yeah. yeah. The
0: rest of the effects were were pretty well done, I thought. But.
1: Because um, mostly they were subtle. Yeah, it was very
0: subtle. Yeah, and I liked it, it was. Uh, much more of a tone setting, I think, in general, which... By the way, out of the outset, I, I appreciate the tone of this film, I think. Like you said, there's not much talking, it's a very quiet kind of film, but it uh, was loud when it needed to be.
1: Unlike I I Interstellar, think. which I had a very hard time understanding. I thought it was too loud. loud the music yeah. was, it was mixed poorly, yeah. I felt, into the rest, because sometimes the dialogue was impossible for me to understand in that film. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I... I I'm
2: talking Eli about it a lot. I, like I just, I mean the like, cause we ta- I talked with you about it before, William. Like um, the robots were awesome. The like planet where the time tra- time flows differently, totally awesome. There's so many like big pieces of this. Mm-hmm. that are awesome, and I was like, they can hold it together. They can, cause he's gonna go into the black hole, and then they'll roll the credits, <laughs> and they just kept going. Kept going yeah. and I was like, oh no, it's not. Oh, and the the library and the watch, I was like, come on, guys! I mean, it it just killed for me. It just killed all the um, like all the goodwill and interestingness that they built. I mean, they just like if they would just talked less, show us more. I mean, like I mean,
1: other people have compared Arrival, parent child relationship, science fiction, and said, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe Arrival did better than Interstellar managed. Interstellar tried, got to give him props for trying. Yeah. 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 But you'd do.
3: mention the, the cut the cutting off the twenty the last twenty minutes and when I s when I watched Interstellar, that is what I was expecting. It would have been just fine. The whole third act with the the fourth dimension, like I was not I was done with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Five minutes before it before it started. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean it seems like when we talk about these alien encounter films, it's I, I don't think we know a good way of wrapping that up, satisfyingly. Mm-hmm. I mean, Close Encounters again. We does kind of just end on that. Like they kind of come out and greet us, and he gets taken in the ship, and we end. You know that. Um, Which is the opposite, better, yeah. Parent-child relationship story.
3: <laughs> yeah, <where> he <laughs> abandons his family. Pulling up apart. yeah. Go. Pulling up. his
2: family apart, yeah. I don't know. On the linguistic angle, um, I found myself I. I I, I, I guess I recognize, like, on the writing system, So like, I recognize that that's, you know, like, a uh, like you said, like, they can make sounds that we can hear with whatever orifices they have or however they produce those sounds, but we don't have those same things, so we can't make it back. And I'm glad that that was cut and dry right at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. The, like, making circles with ink thing... I, it ends up being cool because I think I really like those computer images where they're mapping all the different points mm-hmm. and showing how it's complex. And yeah. it also reminded me of like um, like Japanese calligraphy. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where like both of the stroke and the pressure on the mm. on the paper and the kind of ink mm-hmm. get conveys meaning. You know, like you know, like like tonal languages—they they convey meaning by tone, which in English we generally ignore except for emotional content, right? So it was like the, the way in which they noticed all the elements of that you know, that brush stroke was really cool. But I was like, how did they render a two dimensional image in like this with by squirting ink, right? Um, and I was like, eh. <laughs> but but again, like I felt like they were they're like, okay, so we need to do something. So here we go, and look how awesome it is. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. analyzing it and how awesome it is. Um, I mean, the, the, the hypothesis you mentioned, what's the name of it? Sapir Wharf. So, um, I am going to attempt to do the following without rambling. I mean, one of the things, so one of my, one of the things I studied before this part of my life was like I studied like religion and culture of India. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, um, like, the, the, the first group of people that, that studied that. In a big deal and wrote stuff down with the British, right? The mm-hmm. Indians, of course, studied it and had their own in, you know entirely academic circles. But in in the in, in the like Western academic world, most of the books you can encounter about early Sanskrit are by British folks. Yep. And certainly, like the these oh, he's pointing to things. Yep. Right there. William has a fine collection on his
0: bookshelf here that
2: we are surrounded by. <laughs> by the way. Um, and it was um, you uh, know, and like the, the the early scholars were primarily because they, they they had ancient Sanskrit texts, oral and written. And they interacted with these things and they conceived of, they looked back in time at the culture in India and interacted with them like almost exclusively through language, like through written language. Like they didn't, they're like, ah, I mean, sure, these like Indians who were here like have things to say, but we will look at their texts. Um, and it was it recognized as years went on as like almost complete folly, right? You have a continuous culture that has been passing itself down that is right here living all over you and billions in billions and multitude, but you are focused on a few texts written a very, very long time ago. Um, so it's kind of like the, it, it's um, like a classic, I don't know, uh, mistake when interacting with like another culture. You like sort of just focus on the language, um, as and so and I liked in the in the, um, uh, in this story that we had sort of both things. We had um, Luis and all of the the military apparatus focused on what they're saying. Like we need to ask them, is there a weapon? We need to ask them these questions, and Luis was interested in that, but she also. Whether it was... It, she also broke beyond that and talked to the actual aliens and had some kind of actual contact with them, which I thought was interesting. And, and it also... I mean, it is... I think it's hard to do, and I don't necessarily like the spontaneous changing of hair and the going <laughs> in the multi-gravity, something or other. Yeah. But I do like that, you know, there the, that there is a, a sort of a classical presentation of interacting primarily through language, which has this meaning. And then she does actually get... make contact with those aliens. a You know, and th- there's that... I don't know, I really liked that line in there, I think it was like, um, it was after the explosion when she asked about, I think it was Abbott, and the response is, you know, Abbott is in death process. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I, th- you know, that, that was like, it seemed like there was emotion, like that there was emotion conveyed mm. from the alien to her through this medium of language, which hadn't previously been done, um, which I f- it felt, I, I, I was... I was into it at that point. Like, I, I really wasn't buying what they're
1: communicating. And that's the first time she realized that the aliens are... She'd only been seeing, like, their feet yeah. or right. something. The small part of it. The yeah. small part of yeah. it rather yeah. than the, this, 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 this gigantic... Yeah. Pull, Pull the, back the curtain and yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, learning a language completely requires understanding the culture. Language is a tool of culture. That's what it's for. Um, and separating... The language from the culture is very difficult, uh, which is why reading ancient Greek and Latin texts, or Sanskrit texts for that matter, are very difficult because the culture that produced them is gone. It echoes and is drawn on constantly these sort of historical literary languages. People go back to them and pull things out of them all of the time. So there's this weird constant conversation while at the same time the modern culture might well be irreconcilably different from the culture that produced the text in the first place. So, yeah, there's limits to using just text But when you're talking with aliens, you have to start somewhere. Yeah. And text is, you're certainly not going to be able to talk to them. Very, very unlikely that that they will have similar vocal apparatus or hearing. Our hearing and our throats are adjusted to produce our language. You know, dolphin people from Aquarius 17 are not going to communicate in anything like the same way. Right. Even if it's sound based.
0: Yeah. So, kind of thinking on that, I was, uh, the way I explored it too was I think there is kind of issues with this jump we're making with, uh, you know, now I understand the world in a different way and non-linearly and things like that. And that that's kind of maybe hard to understand. But I know, Jeremy, you and I have talked about too, like, spending time in other cultures. And with people of other culture, you do start to, and I think this is kind of what you're saying, like, it's not just always language that you kind of take away from encountering people that are not like you or um, other things, but we... We, can, we do see the world differently when we are kind of um, enveloped in other cultures and things like that. And that's kind of what I took up from this. And, you know, she does reference, you know, when, um, even though she said she was lying, when they first encountered uh, Aborigines, was it, in Australia? Yeah. Um, and the miscommunication they had there over the, over the kangaroo word. That made me think of other things, like even from uh, talking about Terrence Malick again, The New World. And what I appreciate about that film is there's these great shots of the Native Americans seeing the ships coming from our shores, and usually we don't think of it from that perspective, you know? Like, and they're, you know, that would probably be like a spaceship to them, coming into, towards them, and the fear of that and not understanding this this different technology and trying to communicate. And um, and that that film is probably mostly fictional, <laughs> fictionalized um, characters, as far as the relationships with Pocahontas and things like that. But I, I was thinking of, Uh, the impact of especially what's happening in our world right now and the elections and how I I feel like this film maybe not intentionally with the timing but felt like it was kind of a call to not jump to conclusions about other people or um, Or take that time to uh, to appreciate them and, and view the world differently What I liked about the sort of circular language as I thought about it more we, we do some filmmaking here, um, among us. Uh, and so I kind of think in those terms as well, and film structure, and it started to hit me. So we have the circular language, which represents kind of a non-linear way of thinking. And Louise kind of goes into this non-linear um, experience of time. And in the end, we realize that her flashbacks are actually flash-forwards, which reorients us in how we view the timing in the film the chronology of things so those scenes we see at the very beginning actually take place later so i think it plays into we can appreciate the way that they even edited the film and put it together um brings awareness to the film itself and not just like getting lost in the story and i always appreciate those different levels of um understanding that they put care into the actual art form of film and how that tends to, how we experience the story as well. So like editing is all illusion in film. When we see after those first moments that Louise goes home and she's talking to her mom on the phone and she seems very sad and we assume because her daughter has died and she's, you know, mourning that or whatever, but later find out that that hadn't happened yet. So the only reason we think that she is sad is because of her daughter. And she may have been, of course, sad about other things or unhappy in life, which may be true, but we make those connections just because they are juxtaposed against each other. Um, So I think that is a unique aspect as well. And and I like the mirroring of us figuring out that these are flash forwards instead of flashbacks. And that is sort of a, a tool of film that we come to that explanation and we start to think through the editing and things like that. At the same time that the character is kind of going through this understanding of oh hey this is you know i'm jumping into the future to see these things happening um does that make any sense yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> so having
3: that having not seen this do you guys feel that the twist ending reveals whatever you can call them um will improve a second viewing or take away from
1: repeated viewings it invites at least a second yeah. viewing. I mean, when you start at some point in the scene, as you start to realize what's going on, you're already starting to like, wait a minute, like things take on a different context. Things that you thought you understood what was going on through much of the film, you've misinterpreted, mm-hmm. not grossly misinterpreted. Like it's not like mm-hmm. you're being deliberately misled mm-hmm. necessarily, but yeah, you have to, like, oh, oh, so you mean you need to. You're doing it in your brain in the theater anyway, mm-hmm. and people who get excited about this sort of filmmaking will probably want to go through a second time with a magnifying glass to see what's going on.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I mean, like it has the effect um, of like um, <clears throat> making us identify or helping us identify with Louise a lot more because now only like two, like it, it's Louise, us, the viewer and the aliens that sort of know the, the truth of things and everyone else just kind of fades in the background I mean they're there mm-hmm. but they're not they're not on the same journey that the rest of us are on you know and it kind of like allows Louise to come into sharp focus makes the other people come back and then highlights like it allows us to much more identify with her and the choices that she made and so regardless of what it means in the plot of the story the effect is that it allows us to sort of jump down yeah. in, the, in the trench with her and walk with her as she goes Again, again done
1: as a gimmick this just is a distraction but here it. Dumps you straight into, what is she thinking? More than just, what the hell is going on?
2: Mm-hmm. And I mean, uh, I totally agree. There is one other topic which I, I always which I want to mention. Yeah. Um, and it's um like in in contact. Um, there's discussion of this concept called machine dough, You know, like the way of the machine? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Explain yeah. more. Okay, so um uh, in contact, uh, um. Humans uh, and interpret a message from aliens coming from some far some far away. They eventually figure out that it's a p- gigantic plans for a machine. Okay. They don't know what it does, um, and so the whole world is engaged in um, either funding or building this machine or that machine. There was like an international effort to build one. It gets blown up. You find out that the Japanese are building have been building one on the side, mm. but there's discussion of like uh, from the Japanese about how that the world has sort of unified itself to work towards this common goal, even though they know it's a mystery. Like they don't know if, yeah. it, there are people that say the machine could be a weapon which will be destroyed to destroy earth. And there's there's every aliens that are so clever, they convinced us to build a machine to blow our own planet up right. for it, you know, for right. them. Right. Um, and the idea is just the idea that like, there's a, a kind of um, unifying of people and nations that happens when devoted towards this thing, even though it's a mystery. Um And so, uh, though I found at some points the, like, international involvement in the arrival a bit ham-handed, it was really important to me both because I think, I mean, if 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 something like that, like, like when they discovered dinosaurs, like, they, they just discovered a dinosaur tail in Amber, like, three days yeah. ago or something, or published the article. Right. Like, that's the kind of information that everybody in the world is interested in and talks about. And if there were, like you know, actual responses through SETI or something. That's something the whole world would be involved in and it would be interjected into the existing political climate across the world. So that that's always interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And so I liked how that was there. It's also important because it's like, it's an homage. Like, pretty much like anybody, Well, because I like Carl Sagan and Carl, I like a lot of the stuff that he does and I think yeah. Contact is, you know, like, uh, like a touchstone of alien, you know, encounters. Like, anybody who does that any time in the future has to somehow make, t- you know, be in touch with contact. And yeah. one of the things that contact does well, I think, is incorporates what's going on around the world. Here's what the U.S. are doing. Here's what the Russians yeah. are doing. Here's what the Japanese are doing. Here's what the Indians are doing, you know? Um, and so I like that part about it. And yeah. I also like that um, that, can, like, that can get real cheesy real fast. Like yeah. perhaps Independence Day, um, where, like, <laughs> the entire world is somehow unified around July 4th and some noble pilot flies his exploding ship into the thing, and it right, blows right. up, and yeah, blah, blah, blah The blah, whole blah, blah, world, blah. but the <laughs> presumable
3: universe. Yeah, but yeah. They're, they're invading Earth with like a countdown over. What is it over like many different c- yeah, cities? cities.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um. And so I like that. That um. The element of the story that was sort of there were lots of people initially cooperating, then not cooperating, then initially cooperating again about this particular thing. And I thought that they they handled that well. Um, And I felt, I mean, it felt like a relatively plausible way in which that might happen. Um, And uh, what I also liked about it was, I don't know, I feel like they were able to keep the information coming from the different alien and like the different sessions they had kind of fresh. You know, like, they come out, they talk about it, mm-hmm. everyone else in the world is talking about it, it doesn't, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't feel like, oh, like, we, we know all this stuff, like, it was all sort of, you know, on the fly. Yeah. I like
0: that. The only little odd thing was the section where Jeremy Renner starts narrating, which was kind of out of where, out of nowhere, because he's not really the protagonist, and so why is he narrating? <laughs> it did feel like there was something left out somewhere, um, that, that got cut out in I, at, at the moment, I, I appreciated the sort of jump that we didn't have to, you know, see all of this happen for them to get to this point, um, to skip ahead to that, but the way they went about it
2: was... Oh, yeah, and, and yeah. I probably, I've said it before, I mean, I love a good getting ready and or success montage, <laughs> you know, so I like, to, you know, like, it's like yeah. language repetitions we got the language I'm like good I don't know how long that took right. but that 30 seconds with music and people doing stuff I am I am on board I know where we are like <laughs> that is a tried are. and true solid filmmaking technique yeah. um and you know it's also at that point too there's a point I thing in any film where like you just kind of sit back in your chair and you're like all right like I'm with you take me the rest of the t- right, right. Take, take me the rest home of our, yeah. um you know and it's like in I know this is jumping far but in a film like uh, Moulin Rouge which I love, like, you don't get a chance to sit down to like 90 minutes into that film. And that's part of what makes it super exciting because you're always like, ah! Yeah. But in this film, you know, like, where, you know, like, aliens come and, you know, she's there and they're trying to figure yeah. it out. And then it's at that moment um, where I think it's after her second encounter, you know, that and we get this montage of, of like progressing through language and we step back. We're like, mm-hmm. okay, so like, this isn't going to be our whole story. There's a larger story here for us to, to tell. Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. Like, give it to me. Yeah. And then that, I, that was enjoyed for me. um
0: yeah i think we're gonna kind of wrap up this discussion for now um i did want to mention that this uh was made by Denis villeneuve i think is how you say so i've appreciated his past films and kind of been following him a little bit and uh i know that i'm a big fan of blade runner which i'll probably discuss more on the show (laughs) but mention every single podcast um So I heard that he was tapped to direct the sequel, which (laughs) I'm still kind of mixed on a sequel in general, will probably turn out not to be a good idea, but it sounds like there's some good people involved, and so this arrival kind of came out of nowhere, I feel like, for me a little bit, Um, because I'd heard he was doing Blade Runner, and suddenly they said, oh, there's another science fiction movie he's having coming out. So, and then I read an interview, and he said he's actually been interested in sci-fi, for a while but just hadn't made it found the right projects yeah
1: apparently he's made noises about how he'd like to tackle dune as well oh
2: that would be interesting yeah
1: which is something william has
2: opinions about (laughs) something i have strong opinions about but we could save that for another talk yeah
0: so uh so i guess i am i am heartened by the quality of um the arrival that uh i feel like it is very thoughtful and uh Misses a lot of the problems that it could have had. So that's good news for um, for Blade Runner 2. Okay, yeah. right, so we're uh, moving on to our next segment um, about what we are watching with our kids. Um, so I guess I'll go first, and then I'll go to you guys. Lately, it's been a couple weeks, um, but we, I feel like my wife and I have been waiting for years to watch this with our oldest son, Asher, who is um, going to be eight in about a month. So, we're big fans of the film Labyrinth. You guys? Oh, yeah. Labyrinth at all? Okay. So, it's there's some weird stuff in it. Um, babies being kidnapped, which we do have a baby at home, which he loves, so we didn't want to go into that, which we did skip, actually. Uh, so, we understood that the baby was kidnapped, but we skipped the goblins, you know, kidnapping and <laughs> stuff like that. So we've, we finally decided it was time to watch Labyrinth and uh, I didn't know how he would take it because it does, he is used to, you know, all the flashy effects and stuff these days. Um, and he usually doesn't say much afterwards, but he, he gave it a really positive, like, I like it, which is more than we normally get um, from it. But it, it was fun to, uh, to actually see that and introduce him to um, something, Jim Henson Creations Beyond the Muppets,
1: which right. he does know. When will he get the Dark Crystal?
0: yeah the Dark Crystal still kind of scares me yeah. so uh, <laughs> it's a little disturbing um, but hopefully sometime and uh, and then you know it felt appropriate with David Boy this year so uh, he got you know introduced to David Boy in his amazing costumes um, yeah it was cool and we realized though we've been waiting like until he's ready to watch these different things and we also have Max who's almost three but two right now and Inevitably he just ends up watching it too. Um, they're they're very different kids, so Max is usually like laughs at the scary <laughs> the violent parts. Whereas he's still you sensitive about you it.
3: You forge a good taste in, in concert right. for for young I was for, the youngest on, in my family, yeah. so I've seen things at a far too young of age.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> it's different for the second kid. Of yeah. Siblings, yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. Um and in my day. I don't know what cable provider messed up, but um, on the Encore channel,
0: uh-huh.
3: um, we had Encore totally uncensored. Um, full films, no commercials, nothing—totally uncensored. It, so I'd stay up till all hours of the night watching uh, movies. So I saw, I think I saw watch Full Metal Jacket as a young. <laughs> young boy, <laughs> I think is the most remarkable. Uh, probably when I was like eight or something. So that would have. Disturbing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, well, how about you, Mikey? Since your
3: time. Um, I guess most recently, um, kind of the Halloween season, we watched uh, Adam's Family oh. with our with their family. We um, watched that. Yeah. There was so it's PG thirteen. I hadn't watched it, and I mean, since it came out in the nineties, so I didn't really recall anything too graphic or too too inappropriate for the children. Um, there's a lot of sexual innuendo that, that went over their heads, hopefully, Um, (laughs) much more than I remember. Um, and some mild violence, some really dark kind of nihilistic views of, from the children, Mm -hmm. um, Wednesday and Pugsley. Mm -hmm. So, but it wasn't too dark, wasn't too horrible, um. But in general kind of just revisiting some of the some of the family films from the 90s that I uh, that I really liked uh, Harry and the Hendersons I think is the next step that I've been pushing to watch um, but yeah just kind of going back to to some of the classics and my in my classics I guess um, I'm not so much a Pixar movie person I don't care for the newer animated films that are just all. Um, Wacky action and slapping each other and just like goofy stuff like that. So we like to stick to
0: um, real life films. Nice. Yeah, I think Adam's family is streaming on Netflix right now. Yeah, it, it exactly? was streaming
3: on Netflix around Halloween. It's probably still on there. So yeah, we're cool. really looking
2: at that too. Yeah. Uh, I worry? mean, for me, I mean, I, I was going to mention something else, but when you mentioned the like movies you've been waiting for. I mean, for, for our family, it was The Princess Bride. Mm. And, and that, so there, we were of two minds about it. Like, when I was a kid, we had two VCRs, and, like, we would uh, rent movies and then copy them yeah. um, before macrovision, before there was copy protection, before, you know, anyone in the, you know like, it was, the world just hadn't thought of that yet. So we had this, like, six-hour tape that had all three Star Wars movies on it. And I would watch it, like, every month in the summer. So I had seen it like many times before. I really understood what was going on, Mm -hmm. and I remember the moment of like you know in The Empire Strikes Back when like Darth Vader tells Luke that he's his father, and like I had I knew exactly I knew the handcuff I knew that I knew everything was gonna happen, but I never really knew what that meant. And I'm you know I don't know it was like like nine or ten. I was like oh my gosh like have you guys seen this movie? You know (laughs) I'd already seen it ten times before, but so you know like I there there was this you know I was like. What I was thinking about I was, like, you know, uh, my wife and I both love The Princess Bride, and we're like, what's the right time? You know, we, mm-hmm. we want to show it to him mm-hmm. bef- only at a time he's going to get it. But there was also this countervailing force of me with Star Wars. It's like, I had seen it a whole bunch of times before I ever got it. So there was, yeah. like, the pressure was off. But um, I think it was it, it was just about, probably like six months ago or so, when we first watched The Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. Um, and he loved it, and it was we were like yes like tremendous yeah. success yeah. Um, and at the end of his uh, school uh, actually was, yeah there was a chance he had to choose a movie for school and like Princess Bride was in the running and, and he was like I would vote for that and he was like trying to lobby the other kids to do it but some of the, <laughs> the kids didn't know what it was and he, no. and he like and just the way that he is like sometimes when we're silent we're just sitting around the house he's like man I wish those kids would have voted for <laughs> Princess Bride you know it's like something that kind of still sticks in there um so that that's like probably the biggest like, you know, and, and, and my wife and I both realized that like we had been like waiting for that moment, yeah, for since forever since like oh we might have a child they <laughs> might like the Princess Bride they might, we and might we might be able to provide that for them <laughs> um, so that that's like the thing the probably the biggest thing um, we've watched recently I watched it with my son Ethan he's eight um, uh, my youngest son is Sam he's four Sam did not watch the Princess Bride mm-hmm. um, not I think because he wouldn't enjoy it but he just was doing something else it's got a lot of mostly dead in it yeah 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 but yeah. there's a lot of mostly dead yeah. uh, Ethan was most freaked out by like this scene when they like attach him to the machine to like suck his oh, soul right. out because he yells really loud and, like torture, and he's like yeah. what is happening you know yeah. um, but that was that yeah. the funny thing
0: is um, our sons go to school together that's true yes that's and Asher. so I don't know where it came from but Asher does not want to watch The Princess Bride <laughs> He has not seen it I don't know if it's because that's princess in the title or what, but it also just reminds me of the kid who was like, I don't want to read the book, you know? Yeah, like That yeah, sounds yeah. stupid. Too like, much kissing. Too much there. kissing, yeah. I don't want to keep kissing. Which, I don't know where he's getting this from, but they also had the option to watch it at school, and he yeah. was... Well, we, we felt two things. Like, the school sometimes is destroying some of our design, like, these long things, like... We Also, love the Princess Brides. We're like, seriously, you're gonna watch it in school? Like, they're gonna show it to you before we, like, how do we can we take you out of school? (laughs) (laughs) That is not appropriate. Um, so they ended up not watching it, which in our case was like, oh, okay, at least he didn't watch it without us, right? Which he probably would have ended up liking it if he, um, but we we have not talked him into. My wife also loves the Princess Bride, and I do too, but we have not been able.
3: I think I, I can relate to Asher a little bit in that way that <laughs> when I was, I mean, before I had actually seen it, there was no interest. It did mm-hmm. have pr- have princess in the title, and just like a pa- passive disinterest. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I've seen it many times now, and I ultimately really enjoyed it. But yeah, I just never. Well, I
2: mean, it's the Princess Bride, like, unless you right. unless you realize yeah. that there's lots of swashbuckling. Right. Yeah. Like, you know. And I, and and I knew that you... there was
3: swashbuckling. I knew that Under the, Under the Giant was in it. Yeah. I mean, I knew it was supposed to be funny. And it's just like, well, yeah, it's funny. Well, there's other
0: things that are funny, don't care. But
3: I watched it and it's great, but
0: yeah. It's a little muddy in my mind somehow, like the memory, but for some reason we were with my dad when I was young and there was like a double feature around the holidays in the theater where it was like, you know, usually like you take the kids and then you go Christmas shopping or whatever while they're in the theater. And, but my dad went with us cause it was like really cheap, like a dollar or something. Yeah. So a double feature for like a buck or something. And it was either Princess Bride and Willow, or The Princess Bride and Labyrinth, but I don't remember which. But I loved all three of those films when I was young, yeah, like the fantasy. But I just remember like seeing two of them at once and being exposed to them was just like one of the best days ever. Best um, day ever yeah, was a lot, like stuck in my mind. Um, okay, so let's move on to the next segment, which is we're just going to quickly suggest uh, something we've watched recently on streaming that people might be interested in or you might have an opinion on. Um, So I'll start with that again. So uh, on Amazon Prime, um, they recently uh, put on De Palma, which is the documentary about Brian De Palma, which I kind of every year, um, getting close to the end of the year, I try to come up with, you know, what is my top 10 of the year just for fun, Um, which also gives me an excuse to to watch more movies um, with my wife. (laughs) <laughs> um, even like I've talked her into going to movies in the theater because of that like before the Academy Awards we have to go see these movies um, just because I want to see them uh, so I've been looking forward to it so if you're a film fan I think De Palma is pretty interesting it's not anything um, amazing as a documentary in of itself it's mostly him sitting there talking about his movies and walking through each one his history which for me was really fascinating but um, isn't really talked to anybody else or anything like that uh, few things I didn't know early in his career I had no knowledge of any of his like films coming out of college or really early ones but he worked with uh Robert De Niro before Scorsese or um (laughs) uh or anybody really um so it was weird seeing him really young and kind of discovering him um and he also had Orson Welles in one of his really early films which he said he had to Continuously just do tons of takes because he would not learn his lines beforehand. So his tactic was just make him do lots of takes, um, so that eventually <laughs> he knew his lines. Um, but he said it was really intimidating. He was in his early twenties and he's directing Orson Welles. Um, that was towards the end of his um, career, of course. But uh, so those little tidbits and just kind of—I don't love every De Palma film, but I think he's fascinating. And liking Hitchcock, he plays off a lot. How about
3: you guys? Um, I mean, I have a whole kind of running list of things that I've been meaning to watch. I don't have a whole ton of time. Um, Amazon Prime, I know Green Room just came up um, that I have not yet to watch. Uh, holiday classic on Netflix, Scrooged. Oh,
2: sweet. Um, Scrooged, yeah. One of my
3: favorite Christmas movies, if not probably my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you mentioned Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock Presents is always great. I like to go go back to the things that I have not watched, because um, I'm not super satisfied with all the a lot of the uh, mainstream movies coming out today. Just just dis- again, just kind of disinterested in certain things. Um, I know Will, you'd mentioned you're so sick of comic book things, um,
1: <laughs> so tired of comic books. Yeah,
3: things. and uh, yeah, kind of just go back and watch things that I missed. Speaking of
0: Green Room, has anybody else seen it yet? No. Yeah. So it's about uh, this kind of punk club, and they um, this this punk band runs into this basically like the club where they're performing is like white supremacists skinheads. Um, in this and so when I first saw it early in the year, it was like this is interesting. I hadn't like I don't know that this like subculture really exists to this degree anymore. Know, of, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like it's fictional, but um, <laughs> I was like that's really weird, like, to go into this world, and then now, with white supremacists kind of coming out of the woodwork a little bit more, it's kind of like, huh, it's not, not quite as weird anymore.
2: Um, yeah, we're talking about the alt-right a, every day on the
0: news now. Has a different different tone to looking back at the mm-hmm. United so. Yeah, Jeremy, where are
3: you? Um,
2: wow. Well, um, I'm, I'm often in the same place that Mikey is, where, like, I, especially talking to you guys, like, I... Every conversation, I come away with a list of, like, five more things to watch. Yeah. And I don't have <laughs> so, much, so much time. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess there's a few things I want to say. Um, since this... Uh, i got to give, the, like, the eternal shout-out to, like, the Clone Wars. Mm. Um, you know, it kind of piggybacks our segment before of what are we watching with our kids. I mean, I've watched through all the Clone Wars, um, and I just, I've just been watching them, like, the second or third time with one of my kids. And, I mean, like, there are just so many... Um, great episodes in there that if you're listening to this and you haven't watched them, <laughs> like, just do it. I mean, like, Ahsoka is one of the best Star Wars characters ever made. There's, there's like, all the stuff on Mandalore, like, young Obi-Wan. So much of it is so good. Um, it, it's, like, I, the way I explain to someone who hasn't seen it is, like, if you imagine, like, the best of, like, fan fiction in the Star Wars universe, like, making it into, like, production with uh, animation, like, this is it. Mm-hmm. Like, even the, you know, whether you're a love or a hate George Lucas... Like the world is compelling, and some of the best stories told in that world happen in the Clone War series. Um, a streaming thing on the topic of comic books. Um, I I, uh, I didn't watch Daredevil, even though I like, you know, comic booky things. Um, uh, but I did watch Jessica Jones, which I thought was great. It's noir, you know. I give it like a ninety-five percent, like. Her acting is decent. David Tennant is good. The like toxic masculinity overlay with Kilgrave is great. I mean, it's it's a really great series, miniseries. Yeah. I had a lot of fun with it. Luke Cage is in it. I liked him. He looks like Luke Cage and is all black and badass and stuff, and it's great. So they they made the show. They made the Luke Cage show, and I'm like, I'm gonna watch that. And so I, I watched it. I'm like, I think I'm like six episodes in, and like, the first. Like, 15 minutes of the show, which is this witty dialogue in a barbershop, is great. And then, like, pretty much everything after that is just horrible. Um, it's, I mean, I don't know how to, I described it, we sort of chatted earlier about this, but it, it's like, um, you know, Jessica Jones had, uh, actor who played her, um, had David Tennant, had a lot of, like, different... People even like those like support groups talking about Kilgrave. Those were like well acted, interesting, compelling individuals. Um, in in Luke Cage, like first of all, the guy who plays Luke Cage plays Luke Cage cannot act. Um, I, I it he seems like a large dude in a jacket attempting to deliver lines for a rehearsal or something. <laughs> like he can't even do his one liners well. He looks the part. I mean, it looks like if you were to mm. you know classically like turn off the sound and watch it. You'd be like, this show was awesome. And they have live music in it, which is good, so that part is good. But the actual acting from, you know, like the main bad guy and the main female bad guy and Luke himself and the police officers, it's all bad. There's a guy, I don't know his name, he plays a character named Bobby Fish in the show who's like this chess player who helps out. He's great. Got this little like scruffy beard thing. Mm -hmm. Um, He's awesome. Everybody else, just atrocious. I don't know if it's the directing or the writing or what it is. But I mean, like I, I mean, I start and finish things, you know. Like when I, um, like I went back and decided to watch every single ne- Next Generation episode, which I did, and they were there's some great ones and some real bad, like real, <laughs> really, real really bad, bad ones, really bad like, ones. Like, like, do you guys have you ever seen the one? Um, you know, where it's like Deanna Troy and Dr. Crusher like doing like Pilates or something in the beginning, you know, like talking like, oh my God, is so hot. You know, like with their like silver stretch pants and like it doesn't get better after that. Um, you know, so I'm going to watch it through. Um, and it's like, you know, like the, and, and I don't know, I mean, I go on and on about this, but like, I, I don't know like um, if it's like the way these things are pitched that like it's like, you know, like the initial pitch and then the writing of the first episode was good enough to get people to buy on. Because there's like references, like, I mean, the first 15 minutes is filled with all these references to like um, black writers, and there's a big discussion about black literature, and, and it's like that's is intellectual and awesome and interesting. Mm-hmm. And then it just gets real dumb real fast after that. And it you know, there's a huge drop off after yeah. that initial hook, um, which is just disappointing. And I mean, there's, I, I mean, I know one of the things that I like about comic book heroes is that they often have special abilities and weaknesses. So it, it forces people to think creatively, to, like, punch them in the face. Like, you just can't punch this guy in the face. He's immune to being punched in the face. So you got to, like, find a creative way. And there's a one point in there, um, we know that Luke Cage is bulletproof, can't shoot with bullets. Someone says, like, does he have gills? Which, like, is a reference to me for, like, Unbreakable, one of the best comic book films ever made. Yeah. Um, you know, like, super tough guy, but weak to water, right? It's like, that <laughs> remark about gills is interesting. Like, you know, he's like, is he, is he, is he right. susceptible to poison gas or poisoning? And there's like, I'm like, that's awesome. What are we going to do with that? <laughs> and spoiler, they just get better bullets. That That's like, they they shoot the <laughs> so bulletproof guy with better bigger, badder bullets. That That is where I am in the show. In, in the gut, right? He's like, like a sniper <laughs> lines him up, bulletproof. These are like several million dollars a bullet. He shoots him in the gut, <laughs> yeah. right? Come on, guys. Yeah. So... Uh, that, that's my opinion on Luke Cage I was excited um, uh, to see that I, I'm pretty sure that Amazon Prime is gonna release a second season of uh, Man in the High Castle yes which I still need to watch um, which have you watched that William? Mm, I have yeah I there's it's remarkable it, it's not I don't know it's not perfect um, uh, but it it it's a really interesting story, and I would say like if there's anything that I'm interested I'm super excited about seeing a next season of, it's definitely that. Like yeah. I, um, they wrapped up that first thing fairly well, and I'm 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 I really like that world, and I'm interested to see more about that world.
0: Yeah, so maybe we'll have to talk about that second season. Oh yeah, you can back. watch it too. Um, so those are Jessica Jones, Luke Cage on Netflix, and yeah, also yeah. all of cool and Wars now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The oh. Netflix season that I added. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. I think for a long time after the prequels, like before we knew there was going to be more Star Wars, like that was good Star Wars. From yeah, we no, it, it still is. And Anakin is better than in the prequels in the Clone Wars, like I mean, as but, a character.
2: Yes, yeah. better than. I mean, like the the <clears throat> the only convincing portrayal of, of Anakin that exists is in Clone Wars. <laughs> like it's not whatever Hans Christian Anderson, where was that guy? Is, or the other <laughs> little guy. It's you know, it's, <laughs> it's Anakin next to Ahsoka under the Emperor married to a young um, Amidala in The Clone Wars that yeah. is interesting. right? Um, and even like the third movie, like, oh my gosh, cut off my arms and legs. Like, it doesn't get it done the way that they do it in Clone Wars. Because you see him gradually change to the Emperor's, you know, the Emperor's influence to, yeah. to where he is. Yeah. Nice. William, do you have anything?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, comic book movies. Comic book shows. <laughs> yeah. it, it, I was ruined for comic books. I didn't really read them as a kid. And then... Like, I'm 17 or 18 just before college, and it's here, you should read these comics. And it's in the the late 80s when it's all exploding, right? It's when (laughs) Frank Miller suddenly appears. It's when it's like, oh, sure, I'll read. Okay, The Watchmen. If that's your first experience with superheroes, (laughs) you cannot go back. Right, The Watchmen is up there, right? It's still, I think it's great. And then there's like Mobius, right? So crazy European comics, I love, and superheroes, I just can't. I can't. I can't. Uh, for, for st- my problem is I don't have a normal TV so all things are streaming to me yeah. um, so if you've not seen Westworld just yeah. go see it um, but in terms of just something you can get off of Netflix um, The Crown about mm-hmm. the early mm-hmm. history of uh, Queen Elizabeth yeah. the current Queen Elizabeth's reign it was really well done mm-hmm. interesting she's oh, you know <laughs> she, I'm the Queen oh by the <laughs> way you can't actually do anything <laughs> all of these people around right. you are telling you what to do so I thought that was pretty good um yeah, but, and really the most exciting thing to me right now was Westworld, which was unexpectedly good and interesting.
0: Yeah, I uh, like everything about Westworld is like probably my interest. Um, I don't have HBO currently, but yeah. I plan to watch that
2: soon. Yeah. It, right. You also mentioned, too, William, um, Black Mirror. Oh my God, Black Mirror. Uh, which is something that we, I mean, I don't I, know I, when this airs if we will have talked about it yeah. yet, but every time we get together, we talk about
1: It's the best science fiction TV. We've had in at least a decade, possibly more, yeah. in my opinion. I, I mean, there's some that are weaker than others, but I think in general it's just good.
0: We, uh, I, I told Jeremy to watch it, and I think uh, sometimes I'm too subtle and didn't quite explain enough that the first episode of the very first season is a little bit hard to dive into things. It's not necessarily representative of the rest of the show, and that's what he
2: started with,
0: and I think it's been turned off so far.
2: Well, I, I mean, it, and time wise. Yeah. Time-wise. I mean I, I like I Eli says,
0: Well, you know, like if you
2: watch it then maybe you shouldn't watch the first one first, it's not as strong as the other ones. <laughs> right. Um
3: and I, I would recommend the two episodes with John Hamm, um, the Christmas one of them Christmas is the a Christmas episode and the other one is I c I don't recall, but those are probably my two favorite out of the first season.
0: Yeah. I think it's all a Christmas special. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. I think we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, focus on it in future.
3: It's it's just it is pretty it's pretty good. That's really good. Can I put a an ad? Um, the Watchmen. There's a motion comic, like the Reading Rainbow. They animate the huh. the oh, yeah, I heard about comics um, on YouTube for free. It's like thirteen hours long. It's the entire book, um, but although it leaves out the the Black Freighter comic. Okay. Um, that's a separate motion comic. Oh. Okay. Yeah. But they leave out that chapter. But every other chapter, it's all. It's like Reading Rainbow, but Watchmen. There's one one narrator, changes his voice to have like a feminine voice for each character. It's fantastic. And it's fantastic. Just like
0: Reading Rainbow, great for your kids. Yeah, right? it's
2: great for your kids. <laughs> maybe. Watch it with your family. Maybe not. Oh, just one thing I have to say about YouTube. Um, I, I don't know, uh, what you're involved. In. I like, there's a whole like ecosystem of like Minecraft videos on YouTube. Um, which do you guys know? I mean. Like like as a father of like a, a you know, a, a medium level Minecrafter, <laughs> like um like there there is like I mean, thousands of people like making videos about creating things in Minecraft, watching mm-hmm. things in Minecraft. And I feel really old like saying that out loud. Um, but there's also like there's um, and there's definitely good ones and bad ones. Um, uh, and uh, I don't know, like sometimes we should talk about that. Okay. Because I mean, you know, like I feel like, you know, any, I don't know, anything that like my, uh, I normally don't let my kids like go on the open internet for anything. Um, Because it's like, I mean, we all know what all kinds of stuff is out there. Um, So I I like to be able to say like, hey, like my friends at school talked about like these Minecraft videos, you know, like, can I check them out? And I'm like, I don't even know where to start. But, you know, but so I mean, like, uh, (laughs) sometimes we should talk about because like, there, there are definitely some like... Um, some content creators and some, you know, mm-hmm. and some uh, services and whatnot that are that are, that are better. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're like both give you better quality Minecraft stuff sure. and are like just better,
1: you know, um, uh, better better viewing experiences, my, better produced. My favorite uh, sort of literary reference for the internet is an early episode of, in fact, one of the earliest episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation with Q. It's like the universe is vast and amazing, and there are horrors to chill your soul. <laughs> Effectively, like well, it's the internet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. wonders and horrors both.
0: Nice, um, great. So, uh, thanks for joining us today, William. Um, is there anywhere that people can go to listen to your podcast? Or- sure. If you yeah.
1: suddenly yeah. take up an interest in invented languages, the Conlangery podcast, con- conlangery.com. Uh yeah just search up yeah right we invent languages and the <laughs> word we came up with for ourselves is conlang D- and conlanger which stands for constructed language. Okay. Uh, anyway just google that you'll find more than you could possibly want to know.
2: Okay. And the podcast is available on iTunes as well. You yep. Say, iTunes. Okay. Do search on itunes Yep. Great. Cool. And did you do a show there about the arrival yet or have you?
1: Mm, we probably won't do a whole show about the arrival just because we'd like oh they didn't do anything. <laughs> I mean they did a little (laughs) but there's not enough they're not really enough to talk about right we can talk to David Zala who did all of the Elvish dialogue that's easy to do because there's a lot more work there but thanks a lot thanks for listening